Welcome to Leading the Next Generation with Tim Elmore, where our mission is to empower the emerging generations with skills to lead in real life. Hey leaders, Andrew here, and with me as always is Dr. Tim Elmore. Tim, how are you today? I'm very well. And you? I'm doing well, thank you. Well, uh, we're having a really great conversation today. In fact, I'm very excited about it. We're going to give sort of lean on one great idea that really can escalate, in fact, accelerate, come up with more words maybe, uh, (laughs) but accelerate students' social and emotional learning skills. And it's probably not something that's on the minds of people who are listening right now. We're going to come out of left field a little bit with this. We are. And this one act on the the leader's part or the teacher's part uh, actually accelerates maturity. So it's not just, oh, that's good. That's good for them, like broccoli. Yeah. It actually accelerates the maturation process in a young person. I love it. I love it. Well, we've all been through seasons where we had to sort of mature really fast. And it typically yeah. is because something happened yeah. and it sort of pushed us into it really yes. quickly. Yes. I remember years ago, this happened to me. My wife and I had just moved to Atlanta. I'm probably 20... Uh, five, 24, something like that at this time. And so I'm just, I'm brand new to a city. I'm brand new to the people and the culture of the city and all those kinds of things. Uh, I grew up in the South, but Atlanta is different from Nashville. It just is. And uh, one of the things my wife and I did is we decided we were going to say yes when opportunities sort of arose and we were going to take on new challenges. And so uh, I had a a friend who asked me, he was running a nonprofit um, that basically was a inner city leadership program. So kids would come from high schools around mm-hmm. uh, inner city Atlanta and they would come on a Saturday and we would, you know, uh, be there to help develop them as leaders and run this program. And so I got asked and the commitment was for two and a half years. Oh, wow. Yeah. So two That's and a half lengthy. years, several Saturdays every single year. And um, it was one of the best experiences of my life. And the reason why was because when I walked in that room, I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> I had some communication background and all that stuff, but it was the context that the students were in, the challenges that they were facing, the material I was going to be teaching, mm-hmm. and, and even the conversations that we were leading, all of it was new to me. Mm-hmm. And I had to kind of grow up pretty quickly uh, at yeah. that point in my life. And it was such a great experience. You were building the airplane as you flew, exactly. right? Exactly. Yeah. 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 Attached the wings as we were in the air. Yeah. Well, but I, I'm sure you had a similar experience. I, I did. It wasn't that heavy, but I remember this one was my sophomore year of high school. Okay. So I would have been 15, maybe 16 years old. No, 15 when it started. Um, our public high school in Cincinnati, Ohio at the time, Madeira High School, uh, had a contest because the school administration decided they wanted to create a new school mascot. Mm. We were the Madeira Mustangs. Okay. And so we wanted a new Mustang. We had kind of an old-fashioned, probably 1950s drawing. And so I entered the contest, and I won. So my wow picture of a Mustang, it was kind of a cartoon type thing, but it won. So this was a rough sketch at the beginning, and then, you know, the real job begins to unfold. Yeah. So um, even though my design was chosen, and I kind of thought, good, I'm all done, great. Where's the ribbon or the trophy? <laughs> it was really the launching of a whole lot of work. It was just the beginning. I learned more from that experience over the next several months of different versions, different iterations, lots of critique, feedback from adults. Oh, I'm not awesome after all. You know, that yeah, sort of thing. I thought my design was chosen yeah, and now you're you, critiquing me. Yes, right? exactly. Yeah. So as I look back on that, I think, number one, it, it grew me a bunch. I think I learned more from that experience than any classroom in high school. Yeah. But I think it matured me. I was pitching 
a project, just like a salesperson in some ways, yeah. or, or something like that. And the whole journey itself was just a maturation journey. Yeah. That's the kind of thing we're talking about today. Yeah, that's awesome. Imagine, you know, if your design wasn't chosen, that's effectively just a drawing in your notebook, right? Yeah. But because it was, all of a sudden you're introduced to all yeah. these other elements about what it actually takes. Well, we've all been through experiences that accelerate maturity. They happen all the time. But are they happening enough with yeah. our students? And that's a question I think a lot of our listeners are asking. They are. In fact, one particular teacher I'm going to use as a case study. It's a teacher in Missouri. She teaches high school. And um, she was just grieving uh, out loud one day to me. <laughs> and she said, Tim, my students enter the classroom as if they're customers. How and I said, customers. Yeah. yeah. She said, yeah, they expect me to serve them curriculum, make it fun, and work hard to ensure they make good grades. You know, as if the onus is on her. Yeah. And teachers do feel this. I mean, yeah. after all, we got a lot at stake. We want GPA and graduation rates to stay high. Yep. Kids start learning. You want it more than I do yep. sometimes, yep. you know. So at the end of the day, you know, it's like they're consumers, she, she kind of bemoaned. And then this teacher had an epiphany. Like right there in front of you. Yeah. And then she said... <laughs> I guess they are consumers in one sense. And I kind of just stayed quiet because yeah. I knew this is leading. She's, she's getting somewhere on yeah. her own here, yeah. So she said they, di they digest, just like a you know waitress or whatever, they digest a subject each day for 50 minutes. They're pretty passive, you know. Yeah. S some are even apathetic. Uh, how do I make sure my class time sticks? They actually expect me to serve them like a waitress. She said like a waitress at a restaurant, you know. Wow. And, and she said, at the end of the day, I'm exhausted. And she said, but unlike a waitress, they don't tip me. She said that I thought we just both start laughing because she started realizing this metaphor had some legs to it. Yeah. So yes, the students are not tipping the teachers at the end of class. Great it, job. That, that would be a great way to solve that problem. Wouldn't it? Wouldn't yeah. It? yeah. Every teacher would stay in their job. That's for sure. So um, I think today we've got a solution to this customer retailer dynamic that seems to be going on yeah. in the classroom. Yeah. And this is a challenging situation. You and I, this isn't a singular conversation. We've had right. plenty of conversations where teachers yeah. feel this way. Yeah. And oftentimes it's the structure that they're walking into. Yeah. Oftentimes it's the fact that the students are arriving Maybe it's their 15th year. They've been in school for a really long mm -hmm. time. And it's the way every other classroom they've been yeah. in has done it. Yeah. And so there's this expectation, both from the teacher side and the student side, that it's going to be a certain way. But what if it wasn't? And that's yeah. really the question you're asking. Yeah. So I want to ask our listeners to reflect on something. Um, reflect for a moment on how children generally mature in their lives. It happens over time, not overnight. But uh, for my kids, it had little to do with academic learning, even though I love academics. It had a lot to do with responsibility. Hmm. I mean, that just kind of intuitive. You know, when you get responsibilities, you you talked about a responsibility. You had I had a responsibility of this this graphic design, this mascot, or yeah. whatever. But but listen, it, not just any responsibility, uh, listeners. It, it's it, it was when my two children, as we were raising them, my wife and I were raising them who took on tasks that contributed to the whole family. Ah, okay? yes. So there's a couple of dynamics here. It's, a, it's an ownership of a job I got to do that affects others. Yes. Okay? That's, the, that's the idea I want you to lock into your head. They played a role in a larger picture with, with which others depended upon. That's kind of the bottom line. And I think this idea can be applied to achieve many of the same benefits in a school or a team. Okay. Just like in a home. 
So yeah. we're combining responsibility with the realization of the responsibility I'm in charge of. It's yeah. all on me. It's either going to benefit or not benefit the other people around me based on how I handle this That's situation. exactly right. So drum roll, please. Thank you. I'm talking specifically about classroom chores. Interesting. I just said that. Classroom chores. Yes, you did. So just like families give children and each other, moms and dads, you have them too, chores that we do around the house. And we may feel like, or at least kids may feel like in the beginning, ah, I get a buck, I get two bucks, five bucks, 10 bucks for doing my chores, take out the trash, whatever. I think if we handle this well, it not only works better at home, it works better on a sports team and it works better in a classroom if we manage the classroom chore really well. So children, I believe, based on data, need chores to aid in their maturation process. In fact, I don't think there's anything more common for me, Andrew, than talking to parents who bemoan the fact that their kids are 17, 18, but they're not acting 17, they're acting like 13 year olds. And it's because they had not been given appropriate responsibility as they aged. Yeah. Increasing as they age. That's right. Increasing as they age. They're smart enough. Maybe they're making 4.0 GPA, but this other piece wasn't added. So for years, researchers have proven that when a kid connects the dots, that each person in a family plays a responsible role in ensuring the group succeeds, it has several benefits. Okay. Um, and I just wonder if we might realize those same benefits in a classroom. At yeah, so I'm guessing people aren't thinking about these, but can you walk yeah. through like some of the benefits you feel like could happen if, you know, there's a teacher listening to this now going, chores yeah. in the classroom? What am I, yeah. you know, yeah. uh, what are some of the benefits? So benefits in a classroom or a home yeah. would be this. One, I think it offers them perspective. They kind of begin to see the big picture. Yeah. If I don't take out the trash, then we're not able to do this. If I don't empty the dishwasher, mom can't, doesn't have the place to cook the meal or whatever. Yep. So you see how it's connected. Yep. Two, it accelerates responsibility. Yep. You, you have to own something if yes. you do it. Yeah. Three, it teaches time management. I think I always put my chores off to the very last minute. If Thursday <laughs> night was trash night, I mean, it's Thursday at 7 p.m. when I'm finally getting to this. Yep, yep. Um, it furnishes planning skills. You do yeah. have to plan a bit think ahead. Think about when it needs to be done. That's right. It prompts initiative, at least eventually. Mom has to say it several times at first, but eventually (laughs) it prompts initiative. It provides a sense of belonging because if we're doing something that does affect the other family members, we start learning that as we age. Think about a third grader that has chores in their classroom. They're going to be extra sad about missing class one day because... What are they going to do without me? I've mm-hmm. got to, it's my yeah. job to take out the trash or feed the lizard or whatever yeah, it is. Yeah, that know? actually is true. That's actually true. And and then finally, it teaches benefits and consequences. Like mm-hmm. you just said, if I'm not feeding the lizard or whatever that is, yeah. there might be uh, some consequences. So here's the data that I'm referring to. Okay. Uh, a report from Michigan State University, Extension, suggests children who do chores can gain numerous advantages, and they include confidence, you know, kind of get confidence yeah. when you own something and you did it well. Self-control, because your emotions don't say, this is fun yeah. on day one. And you'd have to do it anyways. That's right. Self-efficacy, that's another one. That's one yeah. of the SEL skill sets. Uh, but more than anything, perhaps, is the fact that taking responsibility for a team task cultivate life skills. And that's yeah. a phrase we love, we love life that. skills. Love, yes. Yeah, love it. Uh, and it isn't, um, I, I guess, Andrew, I'm question, asking the question, Life skills. Isn't that what social-emotional learning is all about? It's absolutely. being ready for life. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it, it's such a simple way to 
give students a tangible way to apply what otherwise would just be a conversation. Yeah. You know what I'm that's saying? Right. Yeah. And especially as our students are younger, I'm thinking about the middle school educators who are out there and thinking about how do I get my student to understand personal responsibility? I want them to apply that to their math problems. Yeah. And I'm trying to find another way to get, well, I can bring it up in a conversation. Mm-hmm. I can talk about examples that happen. Else. But what if I was actually able to give them a responsibility, yeah. see them accomplish it and go, that was really great. What if you applied that over here? I think that's exactly, it's a great way to sort of bring it and make it real in, inside of the classroom. No doubt about it. So you and I have both been in the world of education for years, but let me talk to you about my personal application of this. Uh, my wife and I had our children doing chores just before they began kindergarten. Awesome. So this is four to five years old. Uh, they were, of course, age appropriate. So yes. they, you know, they weren't washing the car at yeah. five. <laughs> but um, at first, I would admit it was merely tasks that would benefit them. Okay. Uh, like putting their clothes away and their toys away and brushing their teeth. Uh, we didn't all benefit from that, but they did. Yeah. So that's the beginning step. But during their elementary school years, they began completing chores that benefited the entire family, like taking out the trash. That was something Jonathan did. Uh, loading the dishwasher. That's something Bethany did. Straightening rooms and the like. And while my wife and I had higher standards than they were able to meet, in fact, you know Pam, she's a bit of a perfectionist. So Mary Poppins, practically perfect in every way. (laughs) So the kids never quite, and she just realized along the way, I just need to get over it. My, I don't need, I need excellence, not perfection. And also the realization that that eight-year-old is not going to do it as well as I am. That's right. Even if I'm not a perfectionist, I'm an adult. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, um, my wife and I had higher standards than they were able to meet, but we both knew that chores would aid in their social and emotional growth. And it did. It was so great. In fact, I think both of our kids were smart enough. They did made pretty good grades. Their EQ going through middle school and high school was higher than average. Yeah. And that's an understatement. They just yeah. are strong there. And they saw it too, not yeah. just you. Yeah. And I think it's because of the all the extra stuff that was uh, that they were doing. So getting back to these, these list of chores, um, while neither, <laughs> I'll just be honest here. <laughs> While neither of our kids would be mistaken for Martha Stewart by sixth grade, uh, they could host a party. Okay. We had them hosting a party. Uh, by ninth grade, our firstborn Bethany was learning to do her own laundry. Oh, so man. that was big. And then Jonathan there followed some, her. There's some college freshmen who don't know how to do their this own laundry. This is true. Yeah. This is true. Uh, she needed to do it in college. So why not get her accustomed to that before leaving home? Uh, when they finished a task, we thanked them. But we didn't go overboard. We didn't say, that was awesome. You get three stars. And the reason I think that's important is because we all did chores. Dad, mom, brother, sister. It was something we did for each other. I just think that's an important item to to underscore Show gratitude, but we don't need prizes for We don't need a Nobel Peace Prize for emptying the dishwasher. Yeah. Yeah. Although it probably creates some peace in the household. (laughs) That's right. That's very good. I like that bad dad joke you just Thank you very much. So our affirmation, we tried to make appropriate. Yeah. Um, all four family members were grateful for each other, for contributing to the whole. We were a team. Chores work wonders. So I love that. I guess I just wonder if this practice would accelerate social-emotional learning at school, and I think it does. I absolutely think so, too. So we're going to get to some practical ideas. In fact, you've got five steps we can use to launch classroom chores. But first, let's take a quick break because I think people are probably looking for how do I continue to build these life skills? Chores is one way, but we've got a great tool that we want to tell you about. So let's take a quick break, and we'll come right back. Hey guys, Andrew here. I'd like to talk to you about our curriculum, Habitudes for Social and Emotional Learning. 
Growing up in a post-pandemic world means that many students today are facing new challenges and often don't have the social and emotional skills to handle it all. When students possess skills like self-awareness, impulse control, empathy, teamwork, and responsible decision-making, they're prepared to not only survive, but succeed inside and outside of the classroom. Habitudes for Social and Emotional Learning comes in both middle school and high school versions and presents a fun, image-based pedagogy designed to delight and challenge your students. Find out more about how you can get Habitudes for Social and Emotional Learning to your school by going to growingleaders.com SEL. All right, Tim, we're back. As promised, you've got five steps that can help a teacher. Maybe they're thinking, okay, this chore thing, I'm starting to come around to it. How do I actually launch this in my yeah. classroom? You've got a few ideas for us. Okay, so my big question, it's a what if question. What if we transformed our students' consumer mindsets that we referred to earlier yeah. by asking each of them to perform a chore for their classmates? Um, each contributes to the whole, just like we illustrated from a family. Love it. And it isn't just about their own note-taking or test-taking or grades. It's about treating the class like a team at work. Yeah. Uh, we, our team right it's now- great practice. Would say, I perform partly because I don't want to let my teammates down. Exactly. You know? So that's what we're really uh, talking about here. So five, five ideas, here we go. Number one, I'd suggest that educators first make a list of all the tasks you typically do to prepare for a class. Okay. So yeah. parents and teachers both know all the unspoken, unwritten yep. stuff they got to do to get ready for it. The stuff it, it, nobody it. pats you on the back for, right? It's so true. These are invisible tasks that need to get done to pull off good lessons, practices, or family routines. So list them, the ones you normally do, and then reflect on which student would be best to complete each one. If you pick somebody to replace you at 12 or 15 or 16 years old or whatever you're teaching, who would be good to do that? And I would add, be clear and specific about your outcomes, not how they do it, but what goal they need to get to. I they see. may have a creative idea on yeah, how to get to that good. goal. Yeah. So remember, many hands make light work. This might just give you peace of mind, educators, for that 25 kids are helping you get ready for that class. Love it. Okay, so after you make a list, what's yep. next? Number two, introduce this idea to the class with a metaphor. Yes. This is not shocking. Not okay. shocking at all. So before you assign any classroom or team chore, launch the practice with a discussion based on an image. This is a metaphor. So I'm going to give you two possibilities. Uh, our Habitus curriculum furnishes several ideas. One of them is puzzle pieces and box tops. Love it. So the whole notion there is when you put a gigantic jigsaw puzzle together, there's a thousand pieces. The only way you know where that piece belongs is you look at the box top. Yep. That's the guide. So you're simply saying, let me show you the box top. Here's the goal we want to get to in this class. Now, Johnny, you have this piece. Susie, you have this piece. Yep. And you begin to divide them up. So puzzle pieces and box tops could be huge. The other one that we love and we use in our Habitudes training, yep. our next-gen training, is cathedral building. Yeah. Uh, the simple story of one worker building the cathedral just saw himself as laying bricks. The other one just saw himself as drawing a paycheck. But only the third one could smile even through his sweat because he said, yeah, this is hard, but I'm building a cathedral. Yeah. Well, all of them were building a cathedral, but only one saw the big picture. I think it's important to let your kids know we're building a cathedral here. Yeah. Or your students know, we're building a cathedral in this math class. It's way bigger than math. You're going to be a better person 
when we get done. So that's item idea number I two. I love that. We're starting with the why, we're creating the big picture, yep. uh, and then we're moving on. So what is step three? Step three is assign chores based on maturity and giftedness. So love I alluded it. to this earlier, but yeah. students are going to be motivated when asked to do a responsibility that suits them. That makes sense, doesn't it? Those who are organized should be given tasks that require great attention to detail. Yep. Like planning projects or taking attendance. Those with low attention to detail can erase a chalkboard yep. following each class or wipe down desks or clean windows. If you have more students than tasks, rotate students for certain jobs. But be sure everyone has a job they can own, yep. even if they do it every other day. Yep. Rotations work great because often it creates anticipation. Students yeah. are really excited. Oh, on Thursday, I get to do this job or whatever it is. Also fosters competition. Indeed it does. She, ah, Susie, you cleaned that window really well. Todd? Think she you did. Do that yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I'm just saying. Okay. I love it. All right. Number four. Yeah. Ensure that benefits and consequences are for everyone. Okay. Now, this is big. Just like a team loses or wins a soccer game together. Yeah. Okay. So when students fulfill responsibilities, make sure everyone is rewarded. When one person fails, make sure everyone feels the consequence. Now, mm. they're going to be mad at the culprit. Yeah. But you and I both know stories where an entire team did push-ups after a football game or, you know, something yeah, like that. Yeah. There's something to it where it builds in team accountability. Yeah. I don't want to be the one that makes everybody do this yeah. punishment or whatever. So um, I would just say, uh, while this won't feel fair, it teaches them they're part of a larger group. And it also increases accountability, like I just said, for peers. I call it positive peer pressure. That's exactly what uh, it is. To collaborate yeah. and, 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 and get along. Great teams just practice this. Absolutely. So, absolutely. Good. And it, that may sound like a younger kid thing, but I guarantee you a high school age kid yeah. follows along in exactly the same way. It's true. If they know there's pressure from their peers for them to deliver on the thing that they're supposed to do, they'll do it. We know NCAA Division I college athletic teams that practice. When we win, we all win. When we lose, we all lose. Yep. And so it's a great so. reminder of life, man. It life really is, is just that way. Yeah. So the last idea, number five, celebrate whole team wins. Mm. Celebrate whole team wins. So just like their future teams at work or future families they'll, they're going to lead, students should experience a celebration of the total classroom. My friend Ted teaches social studies, okay? He and each of his classes of students take part in managing the classroom. As they succeed, he provides a monthly pizza party for them. Love and it. they love pizza. It's yeah. our favorite food. Yeah, And it's um, cheap. That's right. That's relatively cheap. <laughs> yeah. So huge win, easy win, everyone wins. So I just feel like those are five doable steps. But I dare you as this next school year starts, why not introduce this idea? Find 24 for your 24 chores for your 24 students. See if this doesn't help. So um, I think this would be a great way to close because you've given us a really great idea. But the hardest part of this actually may just be application. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Especially if I'm a teacher of a group of students that's slightly older, I might be thinking classroom chores. How is this going to yeah. work? And yet we know of many leaders. And in fact, you're going to share a story of one mm -hmm. who is actually in a college context yeah. Yeah. who applied the same idea. Maybe she didn't call it chores in her classroom, but this is exactly what she did. She gave her students some ownership and they, they, it really counted. Yeah. Her name is Uduak, Uduak Afungadai. She is an African teacher who now is an African-American, lovely lady, but she began to realize this experiential chore thing could really pay great dividends yeah. because her students came to biology class as consumers. Yeah. You know, and she just, in fact, here's how she noticed that. She said, I would launch the semester 
And as I would get going in the first week, inevitably several hands would go up, you know, students with questions. And they would be asking questions that were all, she said, in the syllabus. Yeah. They're in the, it's we went over. Page yeah. two, page three, page one. You know, and <laughs> yeah. she finally got tired of it. And she said, so Tim, I stopped creating a syllabus. And the first three, four days of class, they created the syllabus, mm. the students themselves. I love that. So she would start by saying, all right, this is biology class. What do you want to learn in here? And she said, Tim, it was a little risky to ask that question because they might have, who knows what they might say. Exactly. But she said they ended up listing human anatomy, the heart, this, that, and the other. And she said they ended up giving me a list of subjects, um, sub-subjects that she said was exactly what I wanted to teach them. Wow. So that was check number one. Yeah. Check number two, she said, I said, how many tests do you think you need to or want to take this year? Well, she said, <laughs> what one, an interesting question. I know. I know. Who asked that? Yeah. Well, one goofball in the back raised his hand and said, just one. Yeah. Thinking, oh, that'll be easy. But then the other classmates actually held him accountable. They got on him saying, we don't want just one test where everything rises and falls on one exam. We all die to get, you know. Yeah. So she said they ended up choosing a number of tests that were exactly what I wanted to give them if I were to plan it. But they owned it because it was their idea. So it was in her previous syllabus. She had that. Yes. But her students came up with it. That's exactly right. And then she ended up dividing up her class. Let's say it was 25 students. It wasn't a large class. uh, Into five pods of five. So different pods. Okay. So pod number one had to teach this part of the course, this section of the textbook. Pod two gets this one. Pod three gets this one. And so she divided them up. So the students are actually learning so they can teach each other. Well, you and I both know you never learn something so much as when you have to teach Absolutely. it. Absolutely. And then they were holding each other accountable because when, you know, Jonathan or Justin got it wrong or whatever, hey, that's not right, page 57. Yeah. So there was great peer accountability. Yeah. Google Docs are being used. They're sharing information. It was fabulous. And Uduak said, this has been two things, a messier experience for sure. No yeah. doubt. It, it's much more eloquent and polished when I just do all the talking. But I'm telling you, the chore sharing has given ownership of this class to those students inside of it. Absolutely. She did exactly the same thing. Maybe we wouldn't call it chores, but she made the list of everything yeah. that needed to happen. Yeah. She divided it up. Yeah. And she separated it out and the students were responsible for it's it. It's powerful. I, I love, love it. it. I love it. I love it. So no matter what context you're in, no matter what situation you're in, there is a way you can apply this principle. And I hope you guys find it immensely helpful. Well, if you're looking for ways to build not only uh, classroom engagement, but also uh, the life skills that students will need to succeed in those kinds of environments, uh, you've already heard about it, but I would commend to you Habitudes for Social and Emotional Learning. It's a great course, a group of images. In fact, Tim mentioned a couple of those already. Yeah. Puzzle pieces and box tops, cathedral building. Both of those are in our, our SEL courses. Uh, we would really commend you check that out and find a really fun image-based way to talk about these really important life skills. Just head on over to growingleaders.com SEL. As always, if you would rate this podcast, give us five stars on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. That helps to get the word out about what we're doing here. We greatly appreciate it. If you found this particularly helpful and you thought of somebody as you were listening, please, we invite you to share it with them. We would appreciate that as well. Uh, if you want to connect with us online, we are at Growing Leaders and at Tim Elmore pretty much everywhere you guys are. And then finally, if you have ideas for this podcast, whether it's a subject you think we should cover, a person you think we should interview or something else, shoot us an email. It's podcast at growingleaders.com. We really appreciate and love getting those from you. Tim, thank you so much for challenging us to bring chores into the classroom. Thank you guys for listening and we'll see you next time.